All right, welcome everyone to Unsafe Space. Uh, I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I am joined, as always, by the bad man Jamma, Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hi. Hi, Carter. <laughs> Today, we are super excited to have uh, Sean Fitzgerald on our show. Sean is the host of the Actual Justice Warrior YouTube channel, where he covers news, politics, social justice, and culture. But he also produces videos for the David Horowitz Freedom Center's Stop K-12 Indoctrination Project, in which he chronicles leftist indoctrination practices in public schools across the country. I know a lot of our audience members have been concerned about this in particular, so uh, it'll be an exciting chance to ask him some questions. Uh, you can follow Sean on Twitter at IamSean90, it's S-E-A-N 90, or just go to YouTube and look for Actual Justice Warrior. You can also follow the Stop K-12 Indoctrination Project at StopK12Indoctrination.org. Sean, thank you so much for joining. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, I guess I guess maybe the, by the way, we're everyone has noticed we're, we're using new software now, so you can see all three of us, I think. We'll see how, how people like that. Um, maybe we should just start with uh, an overview of what this... Uh, what you've uncovered at the K through 12 indoctrination, uh, stop K through 12 indoctrination, and and maybe um, what you know, maybe you can talk about Adina and why you even stumbled upon this and like how this started for you. Right. Oh, so the the Adina school district I actually found prior to doing the stop K 12 indoctrination series. It's what actually got the Freedom Center to contact me to produce it because I thought it was a one off uh, situation. And essentially what happened was in Minnesota, in their number one school district, they took, they decided that the achievement gap was still too wide in that district. So they decided to adopt, I guess, a woke curriculum where they would train everybody down to the bus drivers in combating diversity. They threw out all like the traditional books, you know, Tom Sawyer and all that. And they replaced it with new like identity politics type authors. And after three years, Adina went from the number one school district to the uh, to like the middle of the pack. And the very students that they were trying to help, which were the minority students, their grades suffered the most due to this program. So it's amazing. I just want to comment on that quickly. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> no, I mean it's amazing that there there have been countless studies done they, that all show the same thing that when you um, uh, dumb down the the requirements or when you try and teach to lower achieving students and in order to raise them up and you put them in the same class with high achieving students, for example, or even test them, they've done studies in the workplace. When you put people who are not um, uh, working to the same capacity as other higher, more higher achieving workers, when you put them in the same group, you don't lift up those underachieving students. You actually teach down to them and you bring down the high achieving kids or the high achieving workers. So it's amazing to me that they would still, knowing that that body of research is out there, that they would still, people still pursue this as, as with the greatest of intention. I just, right. yeah. Do you yeah. think they have the greatest of intentions though, Sean? Because I look at that and I go, it didn't fail. It did exactly what they wanted it to do. Well, <laughs> I got it. It's it's hard it's hard to like really read somebody's intentions. I would hope it was sold under closing the achievement gap that they had good intentions, but it turns out, and this is another component of the curriculum I left out, that when you tell your minority students that their failures are due to your non-minority students, they don't tend to improve very much. So that was also in the curriculum that they're being oppressed by other racial groups 
in the school and this is what's determining the outcomes that they're getting through education. So maybe best, I would hope best of intentions, but the impact is not, it's not well suited for, you know, achieving their goal. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like it's sold with intentions that will resonate with regular people. Like, oh, we want to close achievement gaps or help this group of people. Um, I guess I, I don't. I, I always question the intentions of people who are doing the selling, though. Um, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, so this this kind of kicked off. I guess David Horowitz contacted you and said, "Hey, this is not just in one school district. Can you start doing a, a video series on this? Is that what happened?" Uh, yeah, like literally, and I was surprised because he emailed me personally, and I'm like, is this real? So after like two <laughs> weeks of thinking that I was being scammed for some reason, uh, I found out that it was in fact him, and he's like, yeah, we'd like you to produce this video series on this specific topic. We have a branch of the Freedom Center that actually deals with this, but there's no uh, media outreach for that. And so what have you, when, how long ago was it you started documenting that, and what have you learned since then? Well, I, I believe it was 2018, early 2018. I'm not a, I'm not 100% sure. And I've been doing the video series throughout. I haven't been doing them uh, lately just because I was waiting for the school year to come back from the from the winter break. And then, you know, the pandemic kind of closed all the schools. So it's kind of weird to be producing video series about the public school system that's currently closed. But I, I've learned a lot. Like there's different forms of indoctrination. Um, obviously, they're pushing identity politics, some social justice stuff. There's like Marxists involved in a lot of this. And um, I also learned that there's foreign governments involved. Like one of the one of the more shocking video series that I did was just highlighting a Senate investigation into, into the uh, Confucius Institute, which has um, arms across this country and they influence our K through 12 curriculum. And the people who work for the Confucius Institute are like, sworn under contract to uphold the interest of the Chinese Communist Party while they're educating our kids. So that that was wow. one thing that fascinated me. Like Carrie and I have, we kind of are semi-aware of, well, we're pretty aware, I guess, of the leftist indoctrination churning out leftists and Marxists in college and they go into classrooms and, you know, we know about that. But the the Confucius Institute stuff you talked about, I think you said they spent $200 million in 15 years. They're in 500 K through 12 classrooms around the country. Um, and I did, is it, is it me or did you say that they report to the Chinese intelligence community? Yes. They're, they're not an arm of the, of the Chinese, uh, whatever their version of the department of education is. They're an arm of the intelligence community and a bunch of people who were here supposedly doing research um, for, for some college. Cause they also partner with colleges were actually teaching in, in K through 12 education. And this all came out in like a Senate investigation and we're all concerned about Russia collusion at the time wow. and how the Russians impacted the election. And you have the, the Chinese Communist Party just throughout the country. And this is just one institution. There are other foreign institutions like this distributing propaganda to our children under the guise of English language learning courses. And I mean, one of the things that's egregious is that I don't hear this reported. I mean, CNN is was like 85, 90% Trump Russia collusion for months. Uh, I don't ever remember hearing anything from the mainstream media about this at all. Did, are you aware that was there any coverage of this report? Uh, I, I, I mean, I did find an article that was summarizing it, but it was like one article on maybe National Review. The Freedom Center put out something on it, but it wasn't 
national news. And it was a giant Senate investigation and they made recommendations to the Department of Education to kind of push universities and K through 12 systems away from partnering with these people. But another thing that they found in the investigation was that there's a there's a grant threshold that schools receive that they have to report to the uh, to the federal government. And I think it's about a quarter of a million dollars and something like 75% of the grants from the Confucius Institute to public school institutions were just not reported. Wow. So, I mean, this, this harkens back to, I know we've talked about Yuri Brezmanov before on this show, and um, he was the former KGB officer who defected to the West and explained to everyone, hey, this is what the KGB's plan is for taking down the West, and it involved infiltrating these uh, organizations, pre predominantly schools, but also media and other, other establishments. And it seems pretty obvious to me what's going on, especially when, as you say, the people that they would hire needed to sign contracts. These are people in the US needed to sign contracts, uh, basically pledging fealty to the Chinese Communist Party, basically saying like, we won't do anything that goes against the national interest of China. We won't say anything that goes against the national interest of China. I assume they won't teach anything that goes against the national interest of China. Um, I, that just seems so overt that it's hard to imagine that that people get away with it. Do parents in these districts know? Like, how is this stuff hidden from the people in the district? Well, I assume that you know parents in the in the district they just think that oh these people are here to help people of Chinese descent who may not speak English learn English. But it's actually worse than the employees of the Confucius Institute signing these agreements. Because I mean, employers do make their employees sign agreements from time to time, but in order to get their services at a school, the superintendent will actually sign this agreement. And then we're essentially importing China's censorship regime into our own education system. So wait, the, super, the superintendent of a school district in the US is signing an agreement promising to not harm the interest of China. Right. And it will, it's sometimes it's not the superintendent, school board, whoever adopts the program, they, they end up doing this agreement. Sometimes it's even a principal at a local level. I have a question. So so we, we talk a lot um, on our other series, Deprogrammed, about my old ideology, which is this identity politics-based Marxism. And I was indoctrinated in it in college. One of my biggest concerns is seeing it spread into K through 12 now. Um, this programming that, that you're talking about from this this Chinese Institute, is it is it overtly is it would you say because I'm not that familiar with the with this this is news to me is it overtly Marxist or is it more of a, is it the SJW identity politics based stuff that we critique a lot? I, I mean I would I, I I don't know if I would describe it as as either because mm -hmm. I think it's more promoting the interests of China so they minimize China's human rights violations. They, you know, obviously the existence of Taiwan, that, that's not a thing. It's Chinese Taipei or whatever they call it. So it's more, and, you know, it's there's a lot of stuff in there about U.S. aggression towards China, which is not something that if from a U.S. perspective that you would necessarily promote. So I'm not sure if it, if it, if, you know. If you it's go either. Into, yeah. I mean, so what do you think that, so, I'm, I mean, you've talked about, I want to get into some of the other stuff you've seen here, but I mean, what do you think the unifying, um, feature of a lot of this stuff is. I mean, there's the there's people pushing Chinese agendas. There's you've talked about gender identity stuff. You've talked about um some of the 
characterizing basically 1619 project type stuff. I think you, you talked about Black Lives Matter uh, curriculum, um, characterizing the founding of the nation as inherently racist. Uh, you've talked about Islam, like indoctrination to Islam. What's the, do you, do you come away with it with this overall, like, unifying sense of like, this is the clear agenda that unifies all these things and what and what's happening? Or is this like a disparate set of poisons? I, I think there's, I think there are different actors because there are different organizations, but the unifying premise of at least what I cover is anti-American type of indoctrination that's prevalent in our schools. So, um, and, and anti-American interests. So there was one um, program that we did where they they profiled uh, a literal terrorist organization. I think it was the Palestinian Liberation, like something. But they're they're a secular, they're a Marxist uh, organization in Palestine, and they actually invented, or you know, they were the pioneers, if you will, of hijacking airlines in accordance with terrorist attacks. And there's just a glowing piece about how these people are freedom fighters and they're fighting against an oppressive system. So. Basically, it's it's just a combination of leftist indoctrination, and some of it is specific to an organization. Like CARE will obviously be pushing, you know, Islamic indoctrination or like pro-Islamic propaganda. Um, there's Black Lives Matter stuff. There's a bunch of organizations, and then there's like huge organizations that that basically have an all-encompassing curriculum. I think you're thinking of the PLL, right? And that was it was. Uh... Back when, like Yasser Arafat actually won the Nobel Peace Prize, even though he was, I think, responsible for a lot of terrorism. So uh, it, I think, um, it it sounds like they're taking the kind of globalist agenda, the anti-American globalist agenda, in whatever form they can possibly shove it into the curriculum and shove it in in that form. Right. And to give you another example of it, they um, in the I believe this was the Texas or no, it was the California curriculum. It even goes down to to tax policy. So in California in the 70s, they had a referendum on restricting the Californian legislature's ability to raise taxes. And there's a hit piece in the in the curriculum related to that, that this wasn't a real uh, this wasn't really Californians rising up to, to to limit the government's ability to raise taxes. This was like capitalist interest promoting this. And, you know, you could believe that on your own, but it was a referendum. People did right. vote for these restrictions, and um, it's clearly that's clearly a partisan worldview on that specific policy. So sometimes it goes down to specific policies, and there's also training for kids to be activists. So they'll tell kids, they'll teach kids how to advocate for illegal immigration. Uh, there's like that crossover with uh, the March for Our Lives and all these other like type of you know lefty indoctrination stuff. Like you know the climate march is a is a good one. Like they're not letting kids out of school to protest things that are not uh, not against the the lefty agenda. That's very much always on this one side. Jonathan well, and you, I think Hyde, you um, go ahead. Well, Jonathan ahead. Haidt talks about that a lot about um, how schools have this choice to make between um, you know ed educating, you know teaching teaching kids the thing how to think, not what to think, or on the other hand teaching them what to think and turning them into activists. And that unfortunately most schools have chosen the latter, you know, to turn them into little activists and, and it's happening at younger and younger ages. I, I would say just, just an observation on that last question you had, Carter. Um, it seems to me that to help explain it to anybody who might be watching who doesn't understand how all these things connect, um, 
would you agree that there's an underlying, uh, the thing that they all share in common, whether you're talking about uh, the, the care and the pro-Islamic stuff, or if you're talking about BLM, or if you're talking about uh, the, the gender curriculum, that what they all share in common is anti-individualism, like anti-Americanism. Yeah, for certain. So it's like there, it's sometimes a, I think for people looking at it, they don't understand how these things can be connected because it's, it's like, well, why would, would radical feminism be in bed with radical is, you know, Islam, which is very anti-woman, but there's a common goal there, which I think is a, a destruction of the things that have, that have set America apart. Right. In, in Jonathan uh, Haidt's book, I believe it's the, or Haidt, The Righteous Mind, it, it's uh, the common enemy identity politics is what you see rather than the common humanity. So it's not necessarily that all these ideologies fit together really well. It's that all these ideologies happen to be opposed to the one that they want to be opposed, which is your Western, you know, your Western system of government or your Western, you know, capitalists. Like they, they, they sometimes combo all the terms. They'll say, you know, the white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy kind of thing. So as long as you're opposed to one or all three of those things, then they'll teach that in, in the schools, no matter you know what it is. It does seem to be an anti-Western civilization thing. I mean, that seems to be the unifying, you know, anything, anything to do with the, the uniqueness of Western civilization. I mean, you even said that campaign ads were appearing in history books or in textbooks. And uh, that's something that just, seemed, again, some of the stuff like we're aware that there's bias and there's Marxist professors teaching stuff, but sometimes they're just so obvious. It, it blows my mind. You talked about how they treated Gavin Newsom, for example, in a first grade history class. Can you describe that to our audience and um, what you saw in that book? Right. So um, it, he was, this was at the time that he was the Lieutenant governor running for governor. And obviously Gavin Newsom has presidential ambitions. So one year during uh, in their textbook, there's just a glowing profile of Gavin Newsom, and it it looks indistinguishable from something that would be on his campaign website. It's like uh, the the Supreme Court or whoever said that gay people couldn't get married, but Gavin Newsom said that he would. Turn <laughs> that. So it's like it's like they're profiling a dead politician like George Washington, and yeah. like he, here's the thing, but in, but in fact, the guy's still got a career going on. Yeah, and he's he's running for governor at this at the moment that this appeared, like when it first appeared. And California, like Texas and California, have a lot of power in our education system because they're so big that if you're printing history textbooks or any kind of textbooks, it actually becomes really cost ineffective for the company to not print that same book to match whatever California and Texas wants because their market is too big. So like ads like that, once once you have this kind of bias in one state, it ends up impacting all the other states just by, you know, the basics of economics. That it's just not economical to print books just for Texas and the rest of the country. So Well, since you brought up California, I don't I don't know how much I actually don't know how much you looked at this, but uh I'm wondering if you can talk about California um A B three twenty nine, which was the sex ed curriculum stuff. Um I assume at least you're aware of some of it. I'm not. I'm not super familiar with that specifically. I know I did a profile on um, on Colorado sex ed thing, but if you could refresh me, I might be able to do it. California, I've done. Too, I feel like I've done too many districts in California, so I don't like 
Fair enough. Yeah. But we're such a hellhole. There's so much good material here. <laughs> but, it, but it's like the K-12 indoctrination series for the nation. I can't like always yeah, I know. in California. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I imagine it's similar to the Colorado one, which I'm not super uh, familiar with. But it's, again, like pseudo-pornographic imagery, um, very explicit uh, descriptions of things. But I think one of the most egregious por portions is uh, I believe that parents can't opt out. So um, you're not allowed to say, I don't want my kid to do this. Um, sex education. Are, are we seeing stuff like that? I don't know about Colorado's. Is it similar? Or is that? Yeah, is that that, kind of that's, that's one of the key features of the Colorado one is that they don't allow parents to opt out, which is very traditional. Like that's traditional how these programs work. And it goes beyond like it goes beyond your standard, you know, use protection. These are the number of STDs you can get. And here's how you get them. These are the symptoms. It goes to almost like instructional. And then they start it at younger ages. I don't know what the age gate is for the California one, but for the Colorado, it starts at like 10 and it has a lot of gender theory like mixed in with it. So it's like, right. yeah, but right. I, don't, I don't know the California one specifically, but these bills get put forward all the time. The California one definitely has a lot of gender theory in it. I don't remember if it's the, uh, if it's the gender man or if it's the unicorn oh. thing that they're using, but they're, they use one of those, one of those things. Um, and you know, this is the, the genderbred person. Genderbred person. They've changed it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> uh, Sean. I have a, a question for you, just for people who are maybe it's their first time being introduced to you and what you do. What is your background? How did you come to be interested in the this ideology and all the various uh, forms of it? How, are you, would you characterize yourself? Cause I know people like the, at least with me, I find a lot of times people are trying to put me in a box of like right or left. And I know what I used to be. I used to be a full on SJW and now I'm, I'm more like liberal, but conservative on some personal issues. Like how, what's your, what's been your political evolution and how did you become interested in this topic? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I call myself a libertarian because I'm largely libertarian on most issues. Um, as for how I got interested in this topic specifically, or like how I started my channel, my educational background is in criminal justice and film. And oh. after I graduated from college, I was doing video graduate courses, like editing, you know, lectures for teachers so that if you're learning from home, it would be more engaging. So I, I did work in education, but not specifically K through 12 education. But I've always generally been interested in politics and law. And a lot of what I do on my channel is actually not related to education. It is related to, to law. Like I like to break down cases and, you know, because the media is very misleading on certain cases. But uh, the education, the specific K through 12 education video series, it's, you know, I stumbled onto it by accident. Weren't you just, didn't you do some uh, counterterrorism curriculum design? Yeah. Well, the, the courses were um, like criminal, one, something in criminal justice, public administration and counterterrorism and one other one that I don't remember. And you, I, I guess I guess I learned that, that from watching one of your videos. And I, what struck me was um, the applicability to how we were treating terrorists in our, we, the schools are treating terrorism uh, ideology in our curriculums. Um, and really sympathizing with terrorists and like, here's this dude who was going to go bomb a thing and then didn't and or whatever. Um, and, and really the empathy is placed on the terrorist aggressors much more than, uh, the victims. I, 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 I know what you're referencing. It was two, it was two specific, um, terrorists. It was one person who actually armed a suicide bomber that went through with the suicide bombing. 
and another person that was stopped prior to doing that. And they they show like these young kids a very sympathetic worldview um, that almost explains away these people's actions. And you get to hear directly from them. You never hear from, I, I believe they blew up a restaurant or it was a bus. Um, you never hear from the people who lost their relatives, the people who were maimed or anything like that. And that's fed directly into our children's, like into our children unchallenged in our public schools. And it's not like they've repented. It's that they're like, oh, well, maybe violence was bad, but like here are all the things that they did to me first. So wow. the schools- So are always, it was retaliatory. Yeah, so they kind of they kind of had it coming. I don't know if you know that, like, but- uh, <laughs> yeah, you right. Know. Wow. Well, and, and you've also covered, this was uh, a bothersome to me as well. It seemed like they passed off an attestation of faith as a calligraphy exercise. Oh, I guess. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so there was, um, uh, there's a, there, a lot of the Islam stuff people are more alert to, and it's kind of easy for us to understand because we have the ACLU that, you know, if you have any type of Christian indoctrination in public schools, like they're on it in a second. Even if it's a coach praying, you know, prior to a game on the football field, like they, pre they prevented some coach from doing that after the game because they're like, that's religion in schools. But so that's why people are very alert to the Islam thing. So there was an exercise where they were practicing calligraphy and the phrase that they were writing was, um, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is the prophet of the Islamic faith or Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. I don't remember specifically. And it's an affirmation of Islamic faith. And you could have picked any word for calligraphy, but instead you pick this affirmation and you're like training kids to write it. So that bothered a lot of parents. And this was a really religious school district. Like, you know, the people who send their kids to that public school were quite religious. So they were very put off by it. And of course they were called Islamophobic for pointing out the obvious that you could use any phrase to show how complicated calligraphy is. Yeah, I mean, and this is that phrase in particular, I think is one of the conversion phrases. Like it's one of the things that you do to show that you're converting to and, and like pledging fealty to to Allah. Um, okay. It's part of the conversion process. Um, I, I guess one thing I've, you know, no offense to you, but why are we hearing about this from you and not from teachers who are whistleblowers? <laughs> What's wrong with this? <laughs> We do, we do get some tips from teachers who are whistleblowers. We have a tip line at stopk12indoctrination.org where you can actually submit uh, cases of your, of your own indoctrination. But we get a lot more from parents. And I think it's because a lot of the ideologies being pushed in our public schools are what we would normally see in college. So a lot of times the teachers are happy to push it. Like we did a, we did a feature on, on gender indoctrination. And one of the stories we featured was this woman who was obsessively trying to get her her male student or her female students to play with Legos to the point where she was taking punitive action against her male students because buying colored like uh, girly colored Legos didn't work because she felt like it was it it was a uh, it was a pr gender oppression that they were picking the toys that they wanted to play with. So like we we've done sometimes the teachers are are the indoctrination point rather than. Yeah you know, people who are just happen to be spokes in the wheel. And we've seen that we covered a, um, in New York in uh, a friend of mine whose daughter is in, how old was she Carter? Eight, I believe, or younger. No, no, it was his, it was his kindergartner. 
she was five and they're teaching the BLM, the Black Lives Matter curriculum that you're talking about. And his communications with the teacher there, I mean, she was fully in support of what she's preaching to these kids. And it was on par with stuff that I was indoctrinated with um, at college, like at a much later age. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm very concerned about it, like what this is doing to the minds of young kids. Have you have you heard it? You you mentioned Texas a couple times. Um, have you heard anything in particular about the like the sex and gender curriculum here in Texas and what's been happening in Austin? Um, I, I haven't gone over that specifically. Yeah. If you send me that, I might I might end up doing a feature on it. But um, okay. Austin doesn't Austin doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and neither does New York. I I live here, so I see I see this type of thing. There's there's actually a program in New York called Reaction Youth which is put under the guise of getting kids to stop gun violence, which sounds great. But the end point of the program is kids going to Albany to lobby their legislature for more gun control. So well, one thing so, that has struck me a lot is the amount of activism and like, and even if I disagree with the politics, like let's, you know, I, I disagree with more gun control, for example. Um, but uh, it's one thing to, it's bad enough to indoctrinate people and teach them that uh, a, skew, a skewed version of reality. But it's another thing to, it seems like every answer to everything that they're teaching kids is all about activism. And that doesn't seem like it's got, that doesn't really promote a lot of agency in children. It, it really, you're, you're building human beings that rather than turn to solving problems themselves by like, let's say you care about the homeless or hungry, uh, hungry people, rather than learning how to set up your own food bank or, or you know, come up with something that solves the problem on your own. Um, their first thought, because of how they've been taught, is always go to government, go to government, go to government for for all, literally everything. Is that? It seems like that's that's true for all of these. Am I wrong about that? No, that that's not atypical at all. In fact, um, if you remember that woman Yvette Falarka, the middle school teacher from Seattle, <laughs> she's she's uh, Yvette Falarka was the Berkeley one. She's right here in the bay area i think she's uh, uh, oh, yeah, she I in seattle now arrested in seattle but she might be from berkeley oh, okay. you might have that right but <laughs> i think she was also arrested in berkeley um oh but i'm she sure was, she's been arrested multiple times <laughs> so she was a middle school teacher and she was made famous by tucker carlson and those videos of her you know assaulting people but she would actually recruit her students into antifa like she would have them go as supposed field trips she had gotten in trouble for this multiple times where she would forge field trip permission slips, get parents to approve it. And then they would send them out to these like BAM meetings or Antifa meetings. And on top of that, uh, because, you know, these people obviously care about minorities more than anything else, <laughs> would use the fact that minority students' parents don't speak, speak English and they're not familiar with our education system to, to basically force them into sending their kids to these events and supporting these events. So and they were more vulnerable to being deceived about the purpose. Yeah, of the parents were. Yeah. So, and then when the, um, what you call it, when she got disciplinary hearings, this is all before the big Berkeley thing. When there were disciplinary hearings, when this was just a local news story, she would have the kids interrupt the disciplinary hearing so that they wouldn't proceed. So that's why, she, you know, thankfully she was fired, but she was fired after seven years of complaints and going on Fox News and revealing herself that she was a psychopath but she she dodged a bunch of disciplinary hearings so yeah they do they do train students to be activists and sometimes they're literally bringing them to violent antifa events 
Yeah, and just to be clear for people who hadn't seen that, she openly advocated for violence against people who disagree with the left uh, on Tucker Carlson. Like that's what, by any means necessary, was their her organization, and uh, they mean it. And um, it, 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 the Tucker, you're actually downplaying how creepy that Tucker Carlson interview is <laughs> because Tucker was asking her, "What would you do if these students were espousing the views that you advocate violence against?" And she would not really answer the question. She was like, well, nobody in my class would ever do that. Like wow. repeatedly. It's like, I think she eventually said that she wouldn't hit the kids in the classroom, that that was ridiculous. But it, it's like one of those things where it took you long enough to get around to that because that was the obvious question Tucker was asking. Right. But if she sees him on the street, yeah. fair game. Yeah. So... Sorry, go ahead, Carrie. You look oh, like I was going to ask. Um, we we have a lot of uh, parents who watch our channel. Some of whom are um, now homeschooling. Well, and also because of the government lockdown, or or some are being forced to homeschool right now. But others who've chosen to start doing that. And then we have some who haven't been able to do that. They still have um, kids in the public school, and they're just coming into contact with some of the indoctrination that's happening. And maybe they're just coming into contact with one small part of it at first and not realizing. It's like touching the tip of an iceberg so much beneath the, the surface, right? What, what, what advice would you give to those parents? I'm so happy to hear that you have a tip line. For anybody that missed that, you said it's at stopkindoctrination.org? Stopk12indoctrination.org. Stopk12 what advice would you give for parents about if their kids are going to public schools, about how to find out um, what it is that they're actually being taught? Taught, I use that word in quotes. <laughs> so I, I would I would just look at their assignments. Uh, you know, you don't you know, a lot of parents don't have time to check it every day, but look at their assignments, especially and although indoctrination is not exempt from science or math classes, but especially your history, your English literature, and anything that's already a softer discipline that's not hard uh, like a hard fact-based discipline, although math problems have had there's a whole thing that we did on social justice math where, you know, math is now about identity politics. So, um, yeah, so I would just say monitor what your kids are doing. Uh, we do have a, there is a bill that, that, um, that is meant to try to address this. Like it's also on that same website. If you look at the code of ethics for K through 12 educators, maybe contact your state legislature and see if you're, if you're interested in that. And it's that, that, that it's like, there's nine pillars to it. There used to be eight, but we had to add one for, to stop segregation based on race because it was so obvious it wasn't in there originally, but we discovered that over and over again. And even if you're not in support of all of those pillars, maybe advocate for the ones that you are in support of. Because sometimes people will say, well, this thing I don't like. And it's like, well, I mean, if, if you know, 95% of it you're on board with, then advocate for the 95%. It's not, you know, you can propose a bill and take a couple of lines out here and there. Yeah. But in general, that's like an ad. It, we we go for the state level because most education policy is done on the state level, and uh, it, it you know it's just basically rules and then some disciplinary actions for teachers that or staff that violate those rules. So I, I just want to categorize some. I just want to make sure that we've covered some of the main things. So we've talked about gender and sex indoctrination. We've talked about. Um, basically sympathetic terrorist indoctrination and um, kind of pro-Islam indoctrination. Uh, we've talked about racist indoctrination where you're, you're um, 
being white is assumed to be, you know, you're assumed to be racist and, and a horrible person. Uh, we've talked about the Chinese government <laughs> in, being involved in indoctrination. Um, we've talked about overtly using uh, history textbooks and stuff to do, like push political agendas. Um, what are we, what are we missing? Is there anything, any other, any other kind of concrete things that I'm forgetting there that are kind of, kind of the, the pillars of, uh, or the different prongs of this indoctrination agenda? Well, sometimes, sometimes there's, uh, they, they invite, they'll invite like speakers to promote a certain agenda. And like the speakers are clearly out of whack with the, with the age of the children. So, um, to, uh, to go to the black lives matter thing for a second, there was an incident in Chicago and I forget the speaker's name where they invited somebody to talk to first graders. And he told the first graders that cops are just looking for an excuse to murder you and you should never trust them, which anybody <laughs> who's a parent of a small child or who has been a small child tell, you know, has been told or tells their kid that if you're ever lost or in trouble, go to a police officer. And you have this guy saying, no, they want to kill you. They're looking for an excuse to, you know, six year olds. So they'll have speakers. There's a drag queen story hour, which, you know, happens in public libraries, but it needs to be pointed out that this does happen in public schools. You could actually look at their website and you'll see the reviews of it and you'll see PS, you know, this school from this state. So, you know, your tax dollars are paying for these people to read books to your kids about how um, they should start thinking about their gender transition at age five. Right. And just to be clear, uh, for those who haven't followed this, uh, even if you support uh, a lot of the, the trans movement, um, it's wreaking havoc on kids. There's no, like, these uh, hormone replacement therapies prior to the age of puberty uh, have permanent lasting effects. Um, it's likely uh, it's likely targeting, all this stuff is likely targeting kids who don't fit into um, standard gender stereotypes, which is often gay or lesbian, kids who would later turn out to be gay or lesbian. Um, there's uh, parents in a lot of states don't have a right to be questioning this stuff. In fact, if the kid comes home from this indoctrination session and decides that they are questioning their gender, often you're um, obligated to uh, kind of go along with it. And all the way through hormone replacement and sex change uh, operations in, in a way that is devastating and basically is child abuse. Um, and that's kind of being rolled out. How widespread is all of this stuff? I mean, we've, we've done features on, on basically as, as many cities. We've done, we've done videos on certain cities where we have a lot of information, but we've gotten tips. And if you go even more um, in depth than the video series is the evidence portion on the website where it's just, you know, a summary of different articles and all that. And some of these programs are statewide. Some of these programs are multi-state, like the Islamic indoctrination that CARE puts forward they sue in a bunch of school districts in order to get their input on the curriculum. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's nationwide. There probably is different variants in different states just because of the way that education is localized. But there's also stuff that came from the federal government during the Obama administration that you know, has impacts on our, on our education system. And to your point about the, the gender theory and the, and the hormones and all that, it's, you know, you can be in favor of that for adults or, you know, even for, let's say, kids 16 up or whatever, whatever you think your age cutoff is. But this stuff is being introduced to kids at age, you know, like, well, in school, it's five, six, 
And then they respond to it like kids do, you know, like kids want to be like kids want to be cartoon characters and we're letting them pick their their own gender. And then the school has to affirm it. And then, you know, they're they're passing laws to make sure that if parents don't affirm it, then it's child abuse. So you can end up losing your kid. It's it's like a whole vicious cycle that, you know, that's like a whole other thing, because then you're altering, you know, if you mess up a kid's thought process, you could talk them out of it as a parent. But if you make it illegal to to do that, then you're enforcing medical and treatment that you're pushing at the schools on kids. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most evil things happening today, I think, is 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 that to children. Sorry, go well, ahead, Carrie. Hey, well, here in Austin, um, I, I know I have a friend who who's a parent who um, several years ago was was in a meeting where they were talking about uh, changes they were they wanted to start making to curriculum, and they openly were saying in the meeting, and people were supportive of it. They were saying we have to reach these kids at a younger age. If we and, and they were citing studies that said if we can reach them by age four or five, if we can get them by five, then we can change the way that they think about gender and sex. And it was it was said as if this is something good. Like why are we why are we trying to get kids? We're now forcing children. Like ninety nine point nine percent of kids have never had to contemplate um, what is my true sex or true gender and is it different from what I actually am? That's not a question that they've had to deal with. And now we're saying, no, this is normal. You should figure this out. Like figure this out at five. Right. And you can decide it. You can't yeah. decide. It's kind of ridiculous because in school, like kids can't go to the bathroom without a hall pass, but they can pick their own gender. It doesn't make <laughs> a ton of sense. Right. But yeah, we, they, we generally recognize they don't have uh, the ability to consent for most things, but when it's consenting to leftist indoctrination, they're all on board with that. Yeah, and yeah. They do. They do want to reach them early. It's it's re it's really weird. It, it is very much, and I think this is an unofficial motto of the program: is that education should be about teaching kids how to think, not what to think, and they have that completely backwards. Yeah. So maybe can we talk about uh, the code of ethics a little bit? I know you mentioned there's nine pillars. Um, I've got them in front of me here. Uh, most of them at the beginning are like a lot of these pillars actually you would think are these necessary <laughs> like what world do we live in where this needs to be stated um do you mind if i just really quickly read over uh a summary of, of each of the ones so so people can understand what you're talking about right um one is uh so this is what what uh Operating within the scope of employment as a teacher in a public educational institution, these are things that they're not allowed to do. So they can't endorse, support, or oppose any candidate or nominee for public office or any elected or appointed official, regardless of whether such official is a member of local, state, or federal government. That seems kind of obvious. They shouldn't be, schools shouldn't be and, used as a and to campaign clear, office. To be clear, that's that's in their capacity as a teacher when talking to their students. Obviously, they're allowed to have their political opinions, campaign, do whatever they want outside of the school or even you know, amongst talking to other teachers within the school, but that's just specifically with the students. Yeah, sorry, I, I skipped over for brevity, but I skipped over the part that said at the very beginning, it says no teacher is permitted during class time or while otherwise operating within the scope of employment as a teacher. So like basically field trips or you know, I guess, you know, whatever. Um, so they can't do that. The second one is they can't endorse, support, or oppose any pending proposed or enacted legislation or regulation. 
regardless of blah, 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 it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> that seems pretty obvious as well. Um, number three, they can't endorse, support, or oppose any pending, proposed, or decided court case or judicial action. Again, all stuff that seems like doesn't need to be codified or shouldn't need to be. Four, endorse, support, or oppose any pending, proposed, or executive action. Same as the first three. Um, so at this point, I don't see anything that any reasonable, normal person would oppose so far, uh, unless I'm wrong. Number five, introduce into class any controversial subject matter that is not germane to the topic of the course being taught. Can you talk about why this is? And I assume social justice math might be a good ex example, yeah. but what do you mean by that? So one of the, one of the, like, we don't want to limit, um, obviously discussion about current events and cur current events class. That's why it's specifically tailored to unrelated material. Um, or if you're discussing a book that happens to go over some themes, obviously that's relevant to the, the topic, but there are just other classes. Like after Trump got elected, this happened a bunch of times where all of a sudden you would halt the math class or the science class to talk about all the bad things about Donald Trump or you know, whatever candidate that they're angry at. So it's just kind of like, if you're teaching kids math, then teach them math. Don't teach them about your personal political project. But obviously if you're doing a politics class or whatever, then that's related to the course. Okay. Number six is endorse, support, or engage in any activities that hamper or impede the lawful access of military recruiters to campus. This one, uh, this one, I I wasn't aware that was a thing. I didn't, like, do military recruiters have lawful access to schools? Is that a normal thing? Well, I, 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 what you call it, like, that's the one that I get a lot of, I get a lot of pushback on. And again, it's, it's, um, I guess if the, they're permitted to be on the campus, that you're not going to be pushing um, against, like, their, their job. Like, if there's, if whatever the school board is already allowing them to recruit on a high school campus, then it doesn't make a lot of sense for teachers to be campaigning against them, you know, for ideological reasons. So it's up to school boards kind of whether they can be there. And if the school board has said they can be, you're saying teachers can't be impeding yeah, there. Or it could be, it could be up to the states or, or whatever. Okay. Number seven, uh, endorse support or engage in any activities that hamper or impede the actions of state, local, or federal law enforcement. That one seems like, isn't that already illegal? Isn't that obstruction of justice? <laughs> I mean, he, there there's a bunch of i there's a bunch of courses that tell kit you know that 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 teach kids how to subvert certain uh laws a, a lot of that might be centered around immigration specifically mm, i hadn't thought of that okay uh that that makes sense number eight advocate in a partisan manner for any side of a controversial issue defined as an issue that is a point in electoral party platforms at the national state or local levels um, to ensure that students have the resources to make up their own minds on such issues, teachers must provide them with materials supporting both sides of the controversy and present those views in a fair-minded, nonpartisan manner. Teachers may express their opinions on these matters, but only in such a manner that students understand they are free to make up their own minds and to disagree with the teacher without incurring any penalty for doing so. That one seems very hard to police. Right. I mean, I, to me, that one's like one of the more clear and concise ones. It's just you know, if you're going to do a debate class or, or something like that, where students have to take both sides of a position and go up against each other, that you're grading them on the debate, basically. Like, 
not on what position what position they're taking i see yeah you took the wrong side of the abortion issue therefore you fail whatever a a quick example of this was um there was a there was a story up in upstate new york where you were allowed i mean it's not the perfect example where you were allowed to write about your whoever your hero is and um a student was actually like punished for trying to write about president trump but another student was perfectly allowed to write about president obama and it's like, I well, see. obviously you're being punished based on not what you wrote, but uh, I'm sorry, not um, like, you know, the the technical, you know, like how well you made your arguments or whatever, you're being punished on the political content within that. It's right. a moral judgment on who you chose. Yeah. Right. yeah. And the last one is the one you mentioned, which is segregation, which seems like, again, I, I guess we're back to telling teachers they can't segregate uh, based on race. So welcome to 2020. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess as a skeptic of public education generally, um, it seems almost like we're trying to construct a law, like we're, we're trying to hold water in our hands and just trying to like grip it more tightly. I, I, if you've got an education system that's predominantly populated by Marxists from college <laughs> who absolutely believe in almost everything someone like Yvette Falarka is pushing, uh, it seems pretty hard to write a set of rules that that can prevent them from indoctrinating your kids. Have you, like, what what makes you think that public education can be saved, I guess is my, <laughs> I mean, my nasty question. I mean, I guess, I guess personally, I'd say you're trying to reduce harm because you, you have to, I get this all the time from parents that, you know, I homeschool my kids, so it's not a problem. And it's, and my response to that is, or I send my kid to private school and it's not a problem. And my response to that always is, but the overwhelming majority of kids are not going to private school. They're not being homeschooled. That's not a practical and, you know, a probable solution for the majority of people. So you know, I understand the instinct to want to protect your family, but you also have to understand that these kids are being trained as activists. And if you let that go unchallenged, they will go to college where they, they will have those beliefs reinforced. And th- this will be a voting block of people that are going to make this stuff law. So you end up having a self-fulfilling, uh, I mean, a self-perpetuating system if you try to do nothing. And they go on to become, and not just to, to, they're not just trying to change the laws. They've, they've um, taken jobs. They're encouraged to, you know, as activists, to infiltrate media and entertainment and to make this a part of the, to make the activism a primary part of their career in journalism, you know, in all of these various fields that impact our culture. So, you know, the people who are indoctrinating around the same time I was they went out and it was like their mission. It was my mission to bring this ideology into my career and people take it with them to social media companies. That's why it's like everything filters down and trickles down from the, this, this type of indoctrination, the censorship that we see happening now on Facebook. You know, that's because of people at Facebook who buy into this stuff. Right. It almost seems like this vicious cycle though, right? Because they, they're gonna. They go to public schools. They get indoctrinated to some extent. Even if they don't, they go to college. They get indoctrinated. Um, if they get their teaching certificate, they're you know, typically that's not a hard science. I mean, sometimes I guess people have a degree in math or whatever and end up with their teaching certificate. But for a lot of these, they're not in a hard science in the first place. So they're likely being indoctrinated to critical theory and social justice uh, ideology in college. And then we're hiring them to teach our kids in public school and. 
kind of, it, it seems like it almost, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a uh, pessimist, although Carrie will argue I'm a pessimist. Uh, it almost seems like it's like an insurmountable problem here unless we somehow massively disrupt the flow of indoctrinated teachers into the classrooms. Right. I mean, th there are there are organizations that focus a lot on on altering the colleges because a lot of this stuff comes back from the colleges and it becomes like a feedback loop. Um, but like the thing is, this college is a little different because they are adults. And sometimes this has the opposite effect. Obviously, you know, there are more and more of these activists, it appears every year. But um, yeah, like you have to do something about the kids now rather than try to train up a whole new generation of teachers and hope that so solves the problem. And also if it's built into the curriculum, then there's like, we get some tips from teachers that don't wanna be teaching this, but they'll be penalized if they don't. So, you know. So how, how widespread do you think the support of parents is? Like, do you think that this is a minority of parents that uh, approve of this in school districts? Or do you think that it's a minority of parents who who are fighting against this or would fight against this if they knew it? I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that it's a minority on both sides of issues, like in politics in general. And there's mostly people that are in between that aren't paying attention. I do think that if you go to parents and you bring up the these certain issues that normally the response that you get is a is a negative response into this type of indoctrination. So like when parents see what's in the classroom, that's when they get organized and that's when they show up to the school board and end up confronting them over it. So I think if they're in, if they're informed or they get a whiff of it or they see something that's outlandish then that might trigger more involvement. But in general, it's parents that are concerned about this, parents that are supporting this, and then everybody else in between, basically. Do you, have you seen some success there? Have you seen uh, communities push back and get some changes in at least their local school district level? I, I, yeah, I can't think of specific examples off the top of my head, but there have been, um, you know, there have been proposed pieces of legislation that are defeated. Uh, in California, they had a statewide curriculum that was going to redefine what discrimination is as discrimination against only a certain number of uh, a certain type of groups and uh, uh, suspiciously absent from that program, despite the fact that there is a giant featurette on Islamophobia was anti-Semitism because the uh, Jewish people were designated as oppressors in that curriculum. So wow. people did push back against that and that bill did not pass. Now it might be it might come up again and be pushed through in California with some minor changes, but if people get angry enough, they can force the hand of their uh, of their legislatures or their school. What keeps you What keeps you up at night of all this stuff? What's the thing that's most disturbing to you? Um, it's 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 hard. It's uh, because there's a lot of organizations that that are involved. One of the things that really bothers me is when like the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America are like in Philadelphia are intimately involved, like they're putting out curriculum and it's just being passed through the school because, you know, the DSA is basically a pipe, like the Antifa is a militant arm of, you know, democratic socialists or socialists. So, and there's a lot of crossover in those groups. So I do worry about that. I worry about certain, um, certain like res certain restrictions that are meant to protect kids from violence in the schools being removed. And, you know, I'm also personally worried about um, 
over policing kids in school. So it's like, it's a, you got to thread that point in there. But uh, yeah, like those things really, really bother me. Cool. Um, I mean, I know we're coming up on an hour. I want to, I want to be respectful of your time. Carrie, do you have any last questions? Um, no, I mean, it's been a lot of information. I'm really happy that you came on the show to share this with us. Um, what, what your website again is stop K 12 indoctrination.org. Yes. Um, and then what is your, your YouTube channel? Where did your name come from? Oh, so, uh, the, the name for the YouTube channel is the actual justice warrior. And it comes from, uh, the fact that all these lefty activist groups, they always put whatever buzzword in front of justice, uh, you know, social, <laughs> environmental, uh, all these different ones. Gender. Yeah. <laughs> gender, um, you know, racial justice, economic justice. And I got sick of that. And I have a background in criminal justice. So I break <laughs> down case law. So I decided to be, you know, a jerk about it and say actual justice, like, you know, the legit one. And then that's what I was going to talk about. That's great. I like it's that. It's an appropriate Car name. It's a great name. <laughs> Carter said, you know, if social justice were actually about justice, it would just be called justice. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's no need for adjectives if you're talking about justice. That's the, you know, like we all unless, unless the adjective is actual and you're distinguishing yourself from all the <laughs> out there. Well, that's the thing. It's like it's the prefix to end all prefixes. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Well, um, thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. We should shout out to uh, Mikey, who not only introduced you to us uh, or vice versa, us to you. And, um, but also had a birthday yesterday and we love yes. Mikey. So we happy love birthday, happy Mikey. Birthday. Thanks for um, watching. And I th he was in chat. So I hope he's still in chat, but, um, yeah, Sean, thank you very much. And just to remind people, go to actual justice warrior on Twitter. He's got videos, um, where he'll go through and break down all these different instances of this kind of stuff happening in schools throughout the country. And again, the website is stop K 12 indoctrination.org. Uh, once again, thank you for, thank you for joining Sean and, uh, Hopefully we'll have you back with some better news in the future. <laughs> it's good to be here. I was happy to do it. Uh, thank you for having me, guys. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Take care.